Amen. Would you remain standing as we honor the reading of God's holy word? Our scripture today comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Listen to the word of the Lord. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we certainly will be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as though those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. David Bartlett wrote, Everyone belongs to someone or something. And to put it even more strongly, he says, Everyone is a servant or a slave or, uh, or a slave to someone or something. Or as the prophet the great prophet from Minnesota, Bob Dylan, says, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Let us pray. Lord, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that my words would be your words that we would hear your voice, and that we would have ears to hear. Amen. If you've been with us through this uh, Roman series, you've seen Paul, you've heard him like a skillful lawyer build a case, an airtight case, laying out just how fabulous and wonderful the gospel is. And after an extension or an extensive discussion of human sin, he then pronounces this doctrine of justification, declaring sinners righteous. 
And today, in chapter 6, we see a little change in his argument. And he will begin a lengthy discussion on the doctrine of sanctification. In the past, God granted us justification, a once-for-all positional holiness in Christ. But in the present, God guides us to spiritual maturity by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is through this leading that we are transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. And God has placed Jesus kind of as the type, right? As the goal for us. And so you may be asking, well, do we ever fully arrive? No, but we press on to that goal that God has placed before us, that goal of Jesus, his likeness, and we strive to become more and more like him. And you'll hear more about this in the coming weeks. This argument will continue well into chapter 8. Paul, in his letter, has already said that you, if you're a Christian, you're standing in grace. God is not looking down on you with anger or disappointment. He's looking down on you with love and with affection and delight. He has already said, you are loved by God. God has shown his love in a remarkable way by sending Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross. Not because we were lovely or beautiful or brilliant people. No, this happened when we were weak. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he has said that we will be saved from God's wrath in the future if we trust in Jesus. And we can have that confidence. We can believe it, that we can have it, and, and it's ours, and we can experience eternal life one day. So Paul wants us to know this. He wants us to be excited about it because he knows when people fully grasp who they are, um, it's life-changing. It changes how we think, and it changes how others see us. It changes how we perceive God. It'll change the way we live. Tim Keller said this. He said, once a person was uh, transformed by Christ's love, then the grace, joy, hope, and compassion they experience would naturally flow out to them. It would be contagious. And so in chapter 6, Paul will begin to talk about sanctification, but he starts in kind of a strange way. He asks a rhetorical question, and then he answers it. I think he's anticipating objections to what we heard last week. In chapter 5, you remember, he said, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And that may have led some people to think, well, hmm, so maybe God needs something to do. Maybe I ought to just keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving. He loves to forgive sinners. Well, Paul is appalled by this notion as well, horrified by it because he gives this emphatic no. By no means, he says. And this is what he's going to be talking about in chapter 6. He argues that that power of sin 
has been broken. We're no longer under its control. And we, through the baptism, we share in Christ's new life. And therefore, we've been freed by, you know, freed from sin's power. And this gives us new life, and it gives us new freedom. In verse 1, he says, What then are we to say? Should we continue to sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go living in it? Go on living in it. So Paul is clear that God's forgiveness does not make our sin any less serious. In fact, it's very serious. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross shows how serious our sin is. And so we must never take lightly the price that Jesus paid for our sins. And Paul challenges the idea that believers may continue to sin and yet remain insecure, um, secure in God's grace because, um, because of the standing we have. It sort of cheapens the doctrine of grace. And so Paul wants to distinguish between this old life and a life we had prior, that life without God, a life that was uh, ruled by the power of sin, where the power of sin is now broken and we're no longer under its control. And he wants us to really embrace this new identity we have in Christ. And so it's a challenge for Christian living to really live by this maxim. Paul says, be who you are. Be what you are. Recognize your new or your true identity in Christ. We need to recognize that through Jesus' death on the cross, that power of sin has been broken. Eugene Peterson, in his um, paraphrase of the Bible, the message, says it really great. He says, so what? What do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin was sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there, right? You remember last week, Pastor Steve said we were in the house of Adam, right? Well, we don't live there anymore. We've moved to a new realm, a realm of life in Christ. Now, let me anticipate some of your objections, because I hear you. I hear what you're thinking. You're saying, well, Kirk, I understand this dead-to-sin business. I understand what Paul's talking about here, but I still sin. Does this mean I, I'm not a Christian? Does this mean that I'm not supposed to sin at all? Well, the answer is no. And he will make this abundantly clear in chapter 7, we will hear next week that Paul found himself in this unhappy place from time to time. But remember that Paul said this. He said, we are justified through faith, not by our own ability to avoid sin, but we have been released from the bondage of sin, the power, the penalty, the pollution of sin. Because our previous natural selves were slave to sin, but now we have this new life where we don't have to sin anymore and we shouldn't want to sin anymore either. And so the answer that Paul gives, why shouldn't we sin? It's because of who we are now, right? We're new persons. We are free with Jesus' power to live a new life 
and reflect that life differently. People will see it. They'll see it in our lives. They'll see the transformation. They'll see that we're no longer that person prior to this new life that's in us. And so Paul's point is that this old sinful nature that once ruled over us has been sent packing, right? We must learn to keep that sin out the door, right? No more regaining any power in our lives. And he presents us with three action steps. And the first is he wants us to know. He wants us to know these truths. Now, Paul has never been in Rome that we know. He has never been there. Um, he probably hasn't taught them. But he's hearkening back to something that maybe they heard at their baptism or prior to their baptism. He says in verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is really, really good news. So in baptism... We have the waters of baptism. It symbolizes what Paul's talking about. Un the waters of baptism, we are immersed under the water of baptism symbolically and then raised to new life. Just like Jesus, who was dead, buried, rises to new life. And so you are a person who is united with Christ through this baptism. We are united with Christ through his death and his resurrection this word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo. And it was a word that was used in the first century to talk about the, um, the dying of cloth. Okay? And, um, and so it means identification, right? This dye, you take a cloth and you would dip it into the dye and it would change its color it would change its identity. So you pull it out, it's a new color. When Christ died on the cross, he was dipped into the bap and baptized into death, and when he rose from the grave, he takes on a new body. He had this perishable body, but then he was given an imperishable one, and so that when we trust in Jesus as our Savior for eternal life, we are then dipped into his death and raised in his resurrection. Similarly, then our identity changes. We might not see it. We don't hear it. We might not feel it. But it changes nevertheless. His death to sin becomes our death to sin. His awakening to a whole new realm becomes our awakening and positionally, our old nature dies on that cross. And with it, dominion, that dominion that sin had on us, it's null and void. It doesn't mean that we are free from the reality of sin's presence in our life. That old nature kind of hangs around. But its mastery, its dominion over us is null and void. We now have, a we have the power to choose not to sin and to walk in a victorious way, right? 
knowing this fact. He wants us to know it and believe it. Let me try to explain it this way. Let's imagine I had a cup of tea in this hand. And then in this hand, I had a sugar cube, right? They're happy to be themselves in their, in their ways, right? Separately, they're happy to be that way. But when I take that sugar cube and I put it into the tea, what happens? It, it blends, right? It gets there and it gets to the point where you can't see the difference between the tea and the sugar, right? And that is what was essentially happening for us. It dissolves, we become united with the tea so that we as followers, through that faith and baptism, we become one with Christ. There's a census among the scholars who have looked at this. They think that Paul is describing the participation of the believer in Christ. It goes way beyond symbolism. He says it's a real union, a shared identity, and a shared destiny. The Christian life then is not just about um, doing good or avoiding evil. It's about deepening our relationship with Christ. And so when Christ died on that cross, we died with him. And when he rose from the dead, we rose with him. Our old lives have been put to death. And that is why in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is able to say, so if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. See, everything is new. The next action step he has is consider. He says, once we know this to truth, he says he wants us to consider. Your Bible might say count or it might say reckon. But what Paul says in verse 11, he says, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So to experience this freedom in Christ that has been given to us, we must transform the way we think about sin. We must consider this death, our deadness to this dead to sin. We must consider it. We must believe it. And so in that way, we can say that sin does not rule over our lives. Since we have been raised with Christ, we are these new creations. We have this new power. It's in us. He says, therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. And here's a thought. Now, this, this may blow your mind. But you don't have to sin every day. You don't. Those days are gone. Because we, as we're maturing as in, as in, our, in our Christ-likeness, we become increasingly aware of that spirit that's in us. And that spirit grows in us. And we begin to be able to battle that sin. We, be, we believe in that Savior's life in us. And that power no longer can drag us into the sin that we hate so much. Now, we are human. I, I get that. You know, your pastor, Kirk, he sins on occasion too. My wife would say very frequently. But we can be more and more aware 
of those choices and avoid those choices and become stronger with Christ's power in us, stronger at avoiding that sin. Imagine you're renting a house and this landlord that you have, he turns out to be a real bully, right? He's always demanding extra payments, coming into the house without asking, threatening you with legal action or violence, and he, he says if, he, if you don't yield to his demands, he's going to take you to court. And you kind of get used to kind of yielding to his demands because it's out of fear, and, and you don't see any way out. But then, to your relief, you find somewhere else to live. Someone else pays off your remaining rent, and you can leave. You move out, and you get settled into the new place, but all of a sudden, to your horror, this old landlord comes and banging at the door. He demands more money. He's angry. He's threatening to take you to court. And then that old habit sort of remains, right? You're strongly tempted to pay him what he demands just to get him to leave. But you know you're no longer his tenant. You no longer live there anymore. You've seen the paperwork. It says it's paid in full, right? The debt is not owed. He has no claim over you. This is what Paul is saying. In this passage, we are free from that landlord, right? We're free from sin. We, it no longer has power over us. We no longer live there anymore. And then the third step he gives us is present. Knowing this truth, knowing our freedom, and considering it to be real, Paul brings up this next crucial step, and that is present. He says in verse 13, No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Christ has redeemed us. He has redeemed our bodies. He's redeemed our souls. And with his blood, he has purchased all our members. Our hands, our feet, arms, legs, ears, eyes, all of us. And then he says, he wants us to set them apart for God's glory. So Paul says, stop, stop giving them over to evil. Offer them to God as instruments of good. Now Paul doesn't say that this will be easy. This is something we've been dealing with all our lives. They are these lifelong patterns and perspectives of our old nature that are determined to keep us in bondage. They keep banging at our door, right? But if we hope to have the full experience, that full experience of the freedom we enjoy 
we must prepare for this classic battle. And there's no better place to experience this classic battle with sin and its conflict with us. And that is going to happen in Romans 7. And you're going to have to come back next week for that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus was not only our substitute for sin by taking the punishment that we justly deserved, but that he also died as our representative. He identified so intimately with us that his death became our death. His glorious resurrection life became our new life in Christ. Thank you that we are new creations in Christ and, posi and positioned in him through time and eternity. I pray that the lives we now live may be lived by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us so that his life may be lived through us to the praise and glory of his name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and we'll sing our closing hymn, God of